Matthew chapter uh, 19. We uh, fault finished uh, the book of Matthew last week, and now we have to come in, come back and really persevere uh, and uh, true finish uh, the book of Matthew. And so we'll take a step in that tonight as we study Matthew chapter 19 uh, together. And uh, let me say, uh, before I read this passage, I'm going to read verses uh, 1 to 12. And before I read this passage, let me say a few things. Uh, this is a text about marriage, uh, divorce, and singleness, okay? And uh, so I want to say a few things about that before we uh, jump in uh, into the passage. And the first is uh, that I, I do think, and I hope you will be able to see, that whether you're married or not, uh, tonight this passage has things for you. Jesus has things to say to you in this passage. So while we will be talking about marriage a lot, uh, stick with me, okay? Uh, I think we will uh, go somewhere uh, where there's an application to everyone in the room. Um, let me also uh, say uh, that if you're here tonight and, and, and you're single, um, the, the church often has not done a good job uh, with, uh, especially in America, uh, with people who are, who are unmarried. And there sometimes can come across a message from the church uh, because of a focus on the family. Um, there can come a message that um, people who are unmarried um, are somehow less than human, <laughs> um, uh, less of Christians, less apart of the body of Christ, and um, it is my goal and my hope to not communicate that message tonight. I do, as we start, want to say uh, to you that if you are not married uh, and are in Jesus, you are in Jesus, okay? And you are a full-fledged son or daughter of God. Uh, you are um, a full part of the community of our church here, and I want Center Point to be a place where people, whether married or not, can come and find a place in the family of God. All right? So I want to say that before we start, because I know sometimes it can be hard to hear messages uh, like this um, if, you are, if, you're, if you're not married. And so I want to say we love you, uh, Jesus uh, loves you, and uh, you are not less than just because you don't have a spouse sitting with you in this room. Cool? All right? Matthew 19, I'm going to read verses uh, 1 to 12. This is the Word of God. Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large, large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And they said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And he said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. 
The disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have, been, who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this message receive it. Let's pray. Right, and as I pray, just let me mention um, several physical needs in our congregation. My wife is, uh, is not here because she is sick. Um, uh, Dave Conrad actually had to go to the hospital this afternoon because of a physical issue. He's released, um, and hopefully we'll be able to go back to the doctor um, to uh, have whatever tests he needs. But let's remember uh, to pray for those folks uh, as we pray tonight. Father, we come asking for your help this evening. We do pray for those who are part of our family who are struggling physically uh, tonight. Uh, we do pray for Dave and Leanne as um, as they've had this issue and and aren't sure what's going on. We're grateful uh, that Dave was able to be um, treated and released, um, but there are some lingering questions. And, um, and so I pray that you would uh, give them peace tonight. I pray that you would lead them uh, to the right uh, medical choices that they need to make and uh, tests that need to happen. And uh, so would you uh, tonight guide them and care for them. We pray for Jess um, and the kids who are home tonight because of illness. pray that you bring healing to our house. And I pray for the rest of us now as we come uh, to these words of Jesus, uh, ones that are, are difficult, um, uh, that are challenging, that are in some ways offensive even. Um, and and confusing. We ask for your help. We ask for clarity. Uh, we ask for the work of your Holy Spirit. Um, we pray for humility to receive your word even when it's hard to hear it. And we pray that we would be changed by it for your glory. And we pray all in Jesus' name. Amen. I was down in my office downstairs this week and I heard screaming. Uh, two people screaming at each other, and I looked out my window this way, and on the parking area right under uh, this building, a husband and wife uh, were yelling at each other, and between them was a broken down vehicle, and, uh, and if you've been in that situation of having a broken down vehicle, you understand the stress, you understand the tension, but, but here's what I thought when I, when I saw that situation. I wondered, did, did this couple imagine this day on their wedding day? Did they imagine the tension and the anger when they got married? Uh, weddings are times of idealism, okay? It, it is this day that, at least on the surface, although there's often tension beneath, uh, it's this day of, of beautiful clothes and smiles and, and grand ceremonies <laughs> and big promises, all right? It is a day of beauty and idealism. And unfortunately, the reality of marriage is often very different than the idealism of the marriage ceremony. And I could share with you statistics, statistics I'm sure you've heard before, uh, and those statistics would not do justice to the stories of marriage. Struggles and pain, and betrayal, and conflict. 
even in marriages that we would call healthy, uh, not to mention marriages that have dissolved um, and those who want to be married and aren't. There's a great deal of pain associated with the idea and the institution of marriage. And there is this tension between the idealism of what we want marriage to be, symbolized in our marriage ceremonies, and the often reality that marriage is. And it is at that point of tension that Jesus speaks in this passage that we have just read. The teaching that he gives us here addresses that tension between the ideal and the real when it comes to the experience of marriage. Whether you are married, have been married, want to be married, or don't want to be married. Jesus gives us perspective on this tension. And so I want us to take some time tonight to consider what he says about marriage. And we'll look at three aspects of Jesus' teaching uh, here in chapter 19. Um, first of all, we see a vision for marriage. Uh, then second, we see the distortion of marriage. And finally, we'll look at the limitation of marriage. So first of all, Jesus gives us a vision uh, for marriage. These religious leaders, the Pharisees, they come to Jesus, and as we will see increasingly in the Gospel of Matthew, they're trying to trap Jesus, they're trying uh, to put him in a bad light, uh, to make his authority seem uh, not legitimate. And so they come and they ask him this controversial question about the law of the Old Testament. And they're talking about a passage in Deuteronomy uh, where Moses talks about divorce to the people of God. And there's all these debates about exactly what was Moses saying. And so these religious leaders would debate it among themselves and they bring the debate to Jesus. And they ask about um, what is legal when it comes to divorce and marriage. And Jesus doesn't let them stay in Deuteronomy. But he takes us back further to, than Deuteronomy to Genesis. He takes the conversation back to the beginning and he roots this conversation about marriage in creation. Why does he do this? Well, he wants us to understand that marriage is not a creation of culture. Marriage is not society dreaming up ways to perpetuate itself. Marriage was intentionally designed by God. Marriage was made by God from the beginning. It's not a creation of culture. But made for what? What is the intention of God's design for marriage? Well, he talks here about a man leaving his wife, or leaving his wife, leaving his uh, parents and clinging to his wife and becoming one, okay? And you need to realize the context of these verses that he's quoting from Genesis. In the creation accounts in the book of Genesis, we see God making the world, okay? And he goes through a series of creations. And at the end of each one, he says, it's good. So he separates uh, the land from the sea and he says it's good. Uh, he puts the birds in the air and the beast on the land and he says it's good, it's good, it's good. Until at the end of this series, he says it's not good. This is before sin. 
He says it's not good. What's not good? Well, he made Adam and he put him in the garden on this beautiful world that he had created. And he looks at Adam and he says, not good. Why not good? He says, it's not good for man to be alone. And so God makes Eve and he establishes the institution of marriage. So that when God creates marriage, he teaches us that we are made, yes, as individuals, but as individuals for community. We were made for relationship. And the marriage relationship is the foundation, the beginning of all human community. And it is, it is a relationship that the loyalties to it transcend all other loyalties. So the man leaves his mother and father and clings to his wife. It is to be a place of deep human commitment, friendship, intimacy, partnership in life. This is God's design for marriage because it is not good for man to be alone. And notice what Jesus is doing here. The religious leaders want to argue the legality of marriage. And Jesus rather takes us to the beauty of marriage. He says, look at the beauty of what God has made. A unity so profound that he looks at two, defies mathematics, and says one. Who are you to reverse God's math? Who are you to mess with the beauty of what God has made? The beauty of God's design for marriage. So the question is not how do we get out of marriage? It is how do we live in marriage pursuing the beautiful design that God has given us for it. Jesus would be a fan of the idealism of our wedding ceremonies. He would say, yes, go after that. And it's not to say that that beauty is somehow easy. It is not, but go after that. Go after God's beautiful design for this relationship. I remember a couple of years ago talking to a man who had just gone through a divorce. And we were talking about the experience and I said, wow, that must have been a hard, a painful experience. And he shrugged his shoulders. And he said, nah, not really. He said, we didn't own a house and we didn't have any kids. So we didn't have anything worth fighting over. That is the exact opposite perspective than the one that Jesus gives here. He shows us here that marriage is something worth fighting for. He shows us a vision of marriage that is worth pursuing, that is worth working for. And I think it is easy for us to become somewhat cynical, to become apathetic, when it comes to our approach to marriage, to take on the casualness that our culture 
with which our culture views marriage, and for that to begin to work its way into our perspective so that gradually, whether by busyness or by uh, divided allegiance or by ongoing conflict or by past hurts, we begin to settle for something less than beautiful. And again, beautiful in marriage does not mean easy. It means difficulty and struggle. But Jesus is saying to us, marriage is worth fighting for. It is something that because of God's design, worth working hard to pursue. Now, that's fine, that's good, but that doesn't take away our tension, does it? In fact, in many ways, it increases this tension around marriage because now we have an, an ideal that's endorsed by God himself to say this is what the marriage relationship should be about, this profound unity, this profound friendship, this profound intimacy, so that two are called one. That increases the tension. So what do we do with it? Well, we have to take a second step and see that Jesus not only talks about a vision for marriage and upholds this high ideal for marriage according to God's design, but he also talks about the distortion of marriage. So in verse 7, the leaders hear what Jesus say and they say, Oh, yes, 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 Jesus, fine, but you didn't answer our question. We wanted to talk about Moses and his law, and you went and talked about creation. So still, Jesus, what about this law? What about the fact that in Deuteronomy, Moses says these are ways to give the certificate of divorce? And, and the leaders are trying to pit Jesus against Moses. They want to show that Jesus is an illegitimate uh, teacher. And the, so they say, wait a second, wait a second, what about what Moses does actually say? And Jesus, in his response, doesn't contradict Moses, but he does subordinate Moses. He does say, yes, creation tells us how marriage should be. But Moses, yes, allows for situations where there will be divorce. And in those situations, Moses' teaching, given to him by God, upholds justice. And especially justice for women. It's really interesting here. Uh, the teachers say, can a man divorce for whatever reason he wants? And if you go back and explore the law of the Old Testament, God provides protection for women as much as he does for men in the situation of divorce. So that justice is upheld in a way that was radically counterculture for ancient cultures. To protect women in divorce this way uh, was, was unheard of. And so Jesus says, yes... The ideal is there in creation, but there's this allowance for divorce. And he summarizes the teaching to say the only time that divorce should be allowed, where it's legitimate, where it's not committing the sin of adultery, is in the case of sexual infidelity. Because in that case, the covenant has been broken, the covenant between this man and a woman that has been broken, and so divorce is, is allowable in those cases. Okay, And this is the perspective of the New Testament. If you expand beyond it, the Apostle Paul brings in the issue of abandonment, 
Um, and we could include in that issues of abuse. But, but Jesus says God does allow, in certain situations, uh, for divorce. And he puts certain practices in place to protect people in those situations. So, God does not establish divorce, but he does permit it. Why? Verse 8. Because of the hardness of your heart. God told Moses to allow for certain situations of divorce because of the hardness of of your heart. Now, this phrase is taken, uh, is used throughout the Bible to describe the sinful human condition. That after Adam and Eve, our inclination as people is to reject God and what He wants. Our inclination is to rebel against Him and His designs. And that inclination includes His design. For marriage, and so divorce is allowed because of the sinful human heart, the hardness of our heart. And this is why marriage is so difficult. This is why marriage, so much pain can be attached to marriage. This is why divorce exists. It is not because of our communication issues. It is not because men are from Mars and women are from Venus. It is not because we do not know each other's love language well enough. It is because when you take two people and put them together, you put together two sinful human hearts. People whose natural inclination is to pursue their own good and their own way rather than the good of their spouse and the will of God for marriage, for family, for relationships. That's why marriage is hard. That is why it is painful, because of who we are as broken and flawed and sinful human beings. So Jesus says the institution of marriage is flawed, but it is not a flaw in design. It is a flaw in the users of that design. So my friends who work in IT often talk about their frustrations that their job is spent so often not dealing with the machine and the design of the machine, but it's dealing with the users of the machine. All right? This is what Jesus is saying about marriage. This is the distortion of God's vision for marriage. It is not the design of marriage. It is the people who use that design. Now, that's kind of discouraging, isn't it? It shouldn't be. To hear that should make our hearts sing. It should fill us with hope. Why? Verses 1 and 2. We have these little details as we have throughout Matthew, these little geographical details. And what they remind us of is that Jesus was turning his focus south. He was headed towards Jerusalem. And why was he headed towards Jerusalem? Well, he was going to Jerusalem to die, to take the judgment of hard-hearted sinners 
like you and like me. And He was going to Jerusalem to rise from the dead so that He could give us forgiveness and so that by His Holy Spirit He could give us what? A new heart. The flawed institution of marriage is one of the most powerful witnesses to our need for the gospel that exists in our world and experience. The struggle and pain of marriage points us to our need for Jesus, our need for for a Redeemer. So understand, whether you are married or not, marriage will not fix you. You need another Redeemer. Whether you are in marriage or not in marriage, marriage cannot give you a new heart. The best that it can do is to teach you of your need for Jesus. Of your need to be made new by Him. And because marriage teaches us of our need for the gospel, then what we learned in chapter 18 about the pattern of mercy and forgiveness that should exist in relationships in the church, that pattern of mercy needs to be the fundamental pattern of our marriage relationships or indeed any relationships that we are in. The pattern of truth-telling of repentance, of forgiveness, is the fundamental gospel pattern for marriage. It is the way to deal with, the, with how we have distorted God's vision for marriage. It is two people understanding the mercy that God has shown to them And then living out that mercy in relationship to each other. The the path towards God's beautiful design for marriage is two forgiven people figuring out how to forgive each other. I, I took a shot at love languages earlier. And, you know, there's all these techniques and and seminars and things that can help us in our relationships and marriage and dating and things like that. And they are good. But you know what? If your relationship doesn't run on the engine of mercy, if it doesn't run on the pattern of forgiveness, the love languages will only inflate your self-interest and create a reason for you to be angry that your spouse isn't your redeemer. Instead of it allowing the struggles in marriage to point you outside of marriage to the one who it truly is your redeemer. Jesus' teaching on the distortion of marriage also speaks to those, particularly those who have gone through divorce. And it reminds them that they are not outside of the mercy, the grace, the forgiveness of God. Sometimes we treat divorce like it is tragic and it is painful, but we act as if those who have gone through it are lepers 
on the outside of the mercy and grace of God. And Jesus completely upends that. And the struggle and the pain of their, their experience of marriage should lead us all to understand how deeply we need the gospel. How deeply we need the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. I mentioned earlier, and I've, I've tried to bring up throughout this time, that this is a message not for the, just for those who are married, but this is a message uh, for all of us. And I want to make that even more clearly as we take a third step now, that Jesus gives us not only a vision for marriage, talks to us about not only the distortion of marriage, but he also talks about the limitation of marriage. So verse 10, the disciples, they hear what Jesus has said about marriage, and they say something that's quite controversial, because you have to understand, in Jesus' culture, it was not okay to be unmarried. There was something spiritually or physically wrong with you if you were not married and didn't have kids. Okay? So the disciples hear Jesus' teaching, and they throw up their hands and say something shocking. They say, if it's that difficult, if it's that complicated, maybe we just shouldn't get married at all. And Jesus' response here is weird, is it not? He goes into this speech about Unix, right? Not the computer operating system. Uh, the people who by choice, uh, by force, or by nature are committed to a life of chaste singleness. Okay? And I want to be, uh, be appropriate here, but in the ancient world, there were men, often in royal courts, and this was outlawed actually in the Old Testament, but there were men in royal courts whose job it was to protect women who belonged to the king, and because of their commitment to that job, they had dismissed a member from their body. Okay? Um, Eunuchs. What's going on here? Why, why does, in the middle of talking about the significance of marriage, Jesus, does Jesus turn and talk about people who live a life of singleness? Well, it's the simple message that Jesus wants to communicate that the kingdom of heaven is more important than marriage. He's simply saying that the kingdom of heaven, remember the summary of the kingdom of heaven in Matthew is Jesus praying, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is the agenda and the life of heaven invading and conquering earth. And Jesus says that mission, that work is more important than marriage. It is more significant than this foundational institution that God has designed for human community. It is so significant that some people will shockingly commit their life to chase singleness for the sake of fulfilling a call in the kingdom of heaven. So, the question is not whether it's better to be married or better to be single. The question is, how do I, in faith, give myself to Jesus and His purposes in whatever situation He places me in?
So understand, Jesus doesn't say no one should be married. He also doesn't say everyone should be married. He simply says that while on the one hand marriage is beautiful and significant by God's design, there is something of greater significance, of greater beauty. And it is the work of Jesus and those who follow him of bringing the agenda and life of heaven into this world. And belonging to the kingdom of heaven, belonging to Jesus, belonging to his people, transcends all of those boxes that we have to check when we fill out an application. We have to say married, divorced, single. Jesus is saying your identity as a son, as a daughter of God, belonging to his kingdom, transcends your identity of husband or wife or divorced or young single adult or older single adult. The significance of that identity transcends all of the ways that the world wants to define you. So that the question becomes, how can I, in faith, give myself to Jesus and his purposes, whether I am married, whether I'm a parent, or whether I am divorced, or whether I am single? And for single folks who want to be married... I want to say that is a good desire. That is a good and biblical desire. But understand, Jesus is calling you to an even greater desire. That does not mean you'll be single for the rest of your life. That does not necessarily mean uh, that there aren't unique challenges to be a single person seeking the kingdom of God. That does not mean necessarily uh, that there is not pain and struggle related. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't desire to want to be married. It simply means that Jesus has given you a greater desire. And you, in your desire for marriage, must always also turn and seek a life that lives for a greater desire the purpose of his kingdom. And if you are married, it means your marriage exists for something other than itself. You are not married primarily to make each other happy. You are not married primarily to assuage each other's loneliness. You are not married primarily to deal with your sexual desires. You are married as a partnership in seeking the kingdom of God together. God has given us marriage as a way to partner in following Jesus together. And that's why he did not only give us marriage, but he also gave us the church. Because he calls us into relationship, pursuing his purposes together. You know that moment in the marriage ceremony where the, the, the groom and the bride are facing each other and they say all their vows and then they turn and they grab each other's hand 
and they face the back door, and the pastor says they're married, and then sends them on their way. That is the movement of the kingdom in marriage and in all of our relationships. It is to turn us out into the world, hands together, partnering, yes, but pursuing what God wants for our lives, for our city, for our world. In relationship, in community, in marriages, in friendships, in dating relationships. It is to turn our eyes from my needs are going to be met by you. And that's what we're about here. To turning out and saying, how can we together seek to meet the needs of those who are around us? It's a partnership in following Jesus. My friend Sarah is a very talented seamstress. And she dreamed all of her life of being able to make her own wedding dress. And she got to do that. Uh, She found a young man, and they decided to get married. And she spent months and months sewing her wedding dress, this beautiful gown. And she put it in her mom's van, and they drove to the church. And she took it in the church into the room that she would change uh, on the next day, and she hung it up. And to her horror... Right on the skirt of the dress was a large brown stain on this gorgeous white dress, right? Horror, right? Especially women in the congregation, you're all gasping, yeah? Um, awful brown stain. And, um, and so they went in, into a panic and, and did everything they could come up with. And they, for the most part, got the stain out. And no one in, uh, in the congregation that day would have been able to see it and knew it was there. But that Sarah knew there was still a little bit of a stain on the dress. I would not wish that experience on anyone, but that is a perfect picture of what Jesus says about marriage. It is a beautiful dress designed and made by God. But it is a dress that has been stained by our sin, by our rebellion. But that stain points us to a greater beauty. It points us to the beauty of God's work of redemption in Jesus Christ. It points us to a kingdom that promises a new heart. It points us to the mission of God in this world to bring life. That mission that he makes us a part of. Whether we are married or not. So let's pursue that vision and that beauty together. Whether you find yourself married, divorced, single... The call of the church is to understand the vision for marriage, understand the brokenness of marriage, and to allow that brokenness to point us to worship and obedience to our Redeemer. Let's pray.